Hello, and welcome to the Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. Hey, folks, I'm Cash Upton. Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of Web3 and crypto. We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss the current events shaping the space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers, and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, remember that none of this is financial advice, and crypto can be risky. In this episode, we interviewed Raphael Benoit, the founder of the Toucan Protocol. What an incredible conversation. This uh, I loved like you finished the conversation with him, like kind of relating him to a translator between these two languages of like web two and traditional carbon markets and blockchain and and refi. And you you hit it on the head. He he can describe things in ways that I, I think were not more clearly described by our you know our guests in the past. Yeah, it was really good to hear his edu- his educational skills when it comes to how to use blockchain tools for regenerative finance and what that really means and what you know regenerative actions really mean something that's you know beyond sustainable right it's 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 a next step it's not just keeping the status quo right because we're at the point now with the environment that we need to be putting climate you know taking climate out of of the sky not just keeping it what it is yeah, and, and uh, we talked about the refi mullet, which really is that bridge between the traditional and and Web three blockchain, where we don't need to go just full Web three. You know, there's always going to be this kind of traditional component and legacy component um, that needs to be involved. And and yeah, Raphael talks about the refi mullet. Yeah, I think it's he has a good point that he made. You know, it's like refi is not trying to replace, and it's not even like a feasible goal, right? To to try to replace the the inf- the traditional carbon markets and the traditional infrastructure that we have with NGOs that are working in the climate action space. But it's how do we, uh, you know, meet them where they're at and create like the bridges that we need, like like Toucan, that allow um, all these systems to work in a better way together, and and. Uh, I think that's a really important part is that, you know, he mentioned he went to a climate conference in New York City recently, and it wasn't it wasn't a Web3 conference, but everyone at the conference was talking about like Web3 tools and and the different um, things that are being enabled by blockchain to help climate action succeed. So uh, I think this is a great episode in that, you know, you can get the you get the high level philosophy of, of why we need to fix the money to fix, you know, the climate. But then you also get the, he was a really good job of explaining, you know, the difference between the different carbon credits and how that whole system works. Yeah. And I especially love that he he really is advocating for making DeFi regenerative. Like refi, DeFi don't need to be different. DeFi just needs to be regenerative. And that's what Toucan's helping to build. Awesome. So let's uh, get into our conversation with Raphael. Hi, Raphael. So thank you for coming on the Block Explorer podcast today. We're delighted to have you. Well, I'm even more delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So in this episode, we're going to talk about blockchain tools in the carbon market, regenerative finance, breaking down the narrative that crypto and climate are not aligned, and showing that crypto is one of the best tools for impact and climate solutions. So let's start with a little bit of background. How did you get involved with Toucan and how did you get into this Web3 and specifically ReFi space? I wouldn't say I got into the ReFi space. Um, when when we started, um, ReFi was not a thing. 
uh, actually DeFi was just getting born, right? So we started Toucan. It was still called CO Toucan back in the day. And it's actually, you know, it's, it's a hackathon project. We started as a hackathon project at ETH London, uh, which was, I think, the last in-person hackathon before before the pandemic. So I I went to this hackathon alone uh, because I had this idea of, you know, uh, how could we actually line, um, you know, how could we solve the biggest coordination failure of our times, which I think is climate change, with what I, you know, see as coordination tools, which is Web3. And so going to the hackathon with the idea to build green smart contracts, so smart contracts that would automatically offset themselves, um, because I was both like, you know, big, big fan of, of the whole Ethereum ecosystem and at the same time very aware of the environmental impact of you know, a proof of work blockchains. And so um, the, the the kind of challenge that, we, that, that I said to myself is like, let's build a simple tool for people to build applications, uh, Web3 protocols that are actually planet positive uh, rather than, you know, contributing towards an extractive, uh, extractive economy. And so that was really the birthing hour, I would say, of what we now know as Toucan. And it was the beginning of a journey for me that, um, Involved a lot of, you know, fun, but also a lot of like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, you know, wh- where do we go next? Um, so, you know, I, I guess the classical journey of an entrepreneur going from like a hackathon to like, you know, winning uh, in like in like a little incubator thingy from from blockchain for social impact, and then a journey to Deep Science Ventures, which is a venture builder in based out of London, which is. It's been a great time to really dig into the problem space of carbon and environmental markets in at the intersection of Web3. And coming out of all of that again with like, you know, pretty clear picture of how we can actually um, provide the, you know, provide the world with the first building block, uh, the, the first tokenized, you know, carbon credit uh, system that allows people to easily build applications on top of it. Because what I've always believed in is the the kind of the power of innovation that we have in the Web3 space and that we really need to unlock and unleash this power and this creativity on what I think is the biggest problem that we have, which is climate change. So, um, sorry, there's a lot of lot to unpack there, I guess, um, but that's kind of the high level of how, how I got to, how I got to Tukin and really like, you know, ReFi was born, I think, as a, you know, as a term uh, towards the end of last year, uh, when when we launched and, and Kima, uh, that was also going live, and uh, I think really which sparked this this movement now really of like people dedicating their careers to 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 working in refi, which is super exciting. Yeah, and that, that's really cool that you were you know building this when refi wasn't a thing, right? And and you know from colonized perspective, you know Toucan has helped create the refi space. So uh, it's really exciting to be talking to you today. Um, one of the tweets you made a while back was um, quote to we need to add a fourth functionality to money in order to close the extractive cycle. Uh, and Colin and I super resonate with this. Um, we did a whole episode on what is money, and and you mentioned just a minute ago green smart contracts. Um, and with that, you know, the three existing uh, functionalities of money are medium exchange, store value, unit of account, and then you list regeneration of the biosphere. Um, so can you give our listeners just a little bit of background? Like, how is that possible? And, and what are green smart contracts? Like, just give a kind of top level overview of like, how yeah. can we even use smart contracts to regenerate Earth? Yeah, cool. Um, 
I might actually start at the bottom, which is, um, I don't know how familiar is, you know, how familiar do you think people are with the concept of carbon credits in the first place? And maybe I should start by just explaining the the core is a lot of these things are basically, or maybe I started like, you know, so the, the idea of money, uh, you know, yeah, I'm sure, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a social contract. We, you know, we, I personally believe that money is the biggest leverage that we have towards dramatically and very quickly shifting our economy towards a planet positive one. So what do I mean by that? Right. Right now, our, our economy and a lot like and our money uh, is based on uh, extraction. So, you know, they call it the petrodollar. And it's really like, um, I think of these civilization as like a, a heat machine. So we, t- we take low entropic, um, you know, hydrocarbons or fossil fuels and turn it into high entropic um, hydrocarbons, which we call greenhouse gas emissions. And we use that energy that is stored in this like low entropic hydrocarbons to fuel our economy. And essentially our economic wheel turns faster and faster and faster. The, you know, output is increasing but there's a byproduct and the byproduct is heat, if you want, right? Like as a, as a society, as a civilization, we're producing a lot of heat um, or, you know, greenhouse gases that trap heat, but, you know, breaking it down. So the fundamental shift that needs to happen is that we need to transition our economic system from one that is extractive to one that is regenerative, right? What is regenerative? It's a, basically a step beyond sustainable. So like sustainable would be a state in which the amount of extraction uh, and reforestation, for instance, you know, or like or what we extract and what we put back down is in equilibrium. That would be a sustainable system. But we are at a point today where we need to move to a system that is regenerative. That means like when the economic wheel turns as a byproduct, we need to pull, you know, carbon or other greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. And we, we need to put them back underground, right? Put them back into the carbon sinks that we got them out off in the first place, right? So that is kind of the very, very big picture, you know, what, what, we, what we need to achieve. Now, carbon markets are essentially an attempt to finance this, um, putting carbon back in, in the soil or in, you know, in trees or store it underground or even avoid carbon emissions to happen in the first place. Right. So that's what the voluntary carbon market basically deals with. It deals with this concept of uh, carbon projects, which are creating positive externalities, positive externalities such as reducing emissions or removing emissions, and packaging those positive externalities into a carbon credit. So a carbon credit represents one ton that has either been avoided, reduced, or removed. Right. And so I think of a carbon credit really as a results-based finance mechanism that um, some that basically is a you know somebody proved that that reduction or removal has taken place and is now kind of packaged into a financial vehicle or like a vehicle that uh, allows people that want to finance positive externalities to purchase and retire carbon credits. Right by retiring the carbon credit, this means that you're now basically taking it out of circulation and you. Now claim the underlying positive externality for yourself. Is that a good? Is that roughly clear? <laughs> I know it's like, um, um, yeah, that's pretty, great. Okay, so and that's a really I, you know, nice, succinct way to, to tie it all up. 
Yeah. So what what I you know what I basically think uh, when I when I of the system is carbon credits are vehicles, right? Think of them like cars or you know they're a transportation system that transport money normally from the global north towards where we have the biggest mitigation potential, which is in the global south, right? So we need some kind of like instrument to do that. So that's the vehicle. Now this vehicle needs to have roads and rails and whatever you want to call it to exist on and to, 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 to drive on. And so right now, the rails of, that, of a carbon credit are, pretty, are in pretty rough state. So um, you know, if you want to send money to Brazil and then you want to send money to Brazil, but you know, to a local community in, in the Amazon rainforest, like that's a pretty complex thing to do and it's going to take weeks and it's going to be expensive and you might lose your money on the way. Um, and that's where I think really blockchain can help because fundamentally Web3 is, I think, just better rails to solve this problem, right? Because as I said, fundamentally, a carbon credit is just a bunch of data that has been verified by a trusted third parties that verify or that a claim of a reduction or removal has actually taken place. And so we can just, you know, link this data to a token and then we, the token now represents this. The, this claim. And so the reason that I'm going there is because this is, in my opinion, the link um, between how we can you know, create money that is uh, regenerative by design, because we, we need some kind of way to actually create that link of regeneration, right? Because money is you know, an imaginary thing or is like a, an abstract concept. How do we make sure that uh, we can actually uh, have a state change on, you know, on the planet, right? This is the, the biggest challenge that we're trying to solve is that we're not operating within, you know, the web free and only space. We actually have to make sure that our actions result in positive change on the ground. And that's where I think carbon credits actually come in and they kind of solve this reverse Oracle problem, maybe if you want to, if you want to call it. Now, the idea of uh, green money or clean money, how, you know, um, Make it is kind of talking about it is that by by backing money with things that we actually care about, so you know carbon carbon credits or biodiversity credits or other forms of like positive externalities that you know create good in the world, we can trigger something like a gold rush. Uh, so all um, of the carbon rush, where pulling carbon out of the atmosphere actually becomes a way to mint money, right? And so. That is, I think, one of the most fascinating concepts, um, and um, you know, definitely one that got me very excited. You know, in, in the early days. However, what we're focusing on with Dukin is to make sure that we can actually do that, right? That we because uh, the carbon markets are pretty broken, and um, the this this connection between money and actually doing impact on our ground. I think that chain doesn't is not fully functional yet. So I would say it's a bit too early for us to, you know, to create money that is completely backed by carbon or something like that. I think Klima was a great experiment to get it off the ground. And fortunately, I think it was based on flawed assumptions, um, which made it, you know, which made it not work in the way that uh, I think everybody hoped would. Um, but again, it, it it was a great way to spark 
you know imagination of people and get get refi rolling and get really like you know um i, I you know i i think never we have had more attention and talent uh working in the space and than, than now yeah that's fascinating um can we talk a little bit more about the carbon markets and um you mentioned you know these problems with with how it work right now and so can you highlight you know what are some of the issues with the carbon markets as they stand now and, and how is um, Toucan helping to smooth out some of this friction? So you should think of the carbon market today as a pretty um, web one type of market um, in the sense that it's a market that you know, uh, exists since uh, basically 1992, like uh, the Kyoto Protocol. and um, and when I talk about the carbon market right now, I talk about the voluntary carbon market. So the first distinction is that there's a voluntary and a compliance carbon market. The, they work very differently in the sense that the compliance carbon market is basically a, um, a program put in place by a regulator m- most of the time. That is, um, for instance, the European you know, cap and trade system, or you have the same one in California, I believe, where some regulator says, you know, this is the cap, this is the maximum amount of emissions that are allowed to be emitted in a certain time period. And we're going to issue allowances, essentially rights to emit that then, you know, are getting distributed, allocated, depending on some algorithm. And then if you emit more, you have to purchase these allowances. And if you emit less, you actually, you know, can sell your surplus allowances and make money. So it creates essentially a market mechanism for people to reduce emissions. So, um, the, the the voluntary carbon market on on the side is um, actual projects reducing or removing emissions and um, turning those emission reductions into carbon credits, right? And then the buyers of these carbon credits generally are companies or individuals who want to pay for that positive externality and to make claims such as you know we are like carbon neutral or you know we have this carbon neutral product. Um, what I think is important to understand, though, is that the voluntary carbon market and the compliance carbon market are getting closer together. And I don't think that we can speak of a completely voluntary carbon market anymore. And that's because the consumer pressure has risen dramatically. And not just the consumer pressure, but also from a financial point of view, um, like ESG is such a big thing. that The cost of capital has increased for companies who don't have clear climate strategy. So there is also really like real financial incentives to to be moving in that direction, and and ultimately a lot of companies have done like come out and made claims right or pledges pledges to be carbon neutral by 2030 or to remove all the historic emissions like like Microsoft has done. So basically we have a bunch of companies out there that made claims or pledges about uh, their you know their goals to become completely carbon neutral. And so I think we're kind of moving from a voluntary carbon market to really a pledge compliance carbon market, which is basically okay. Like these companies need to be tr- keep keep true to their word, otherwise consumers are not going to be happy. Now, this voluntary carbon market is um, at its core operated by nonprofits and then so-called carbon standards, which basically dictate the rules that a specific carbon project needs to follow in order to be granted carbon credit. So you can think of them a bit like, you know, a recipe that um, that you need to follow, and if you follow the recipe, you you're gonna be um, 
you know, you're going to be uh, issued uh, carbon credits. And you have different recipes or so-called methodologies for afforestation, uh, mangrove restoration, or renewable energy projects. So, you know, every type of positive activity that you can perform, there's a different, you know, different rules that you need to follow. And so, and that's where the first problem is, is, is that these, these methodologies by design are pretty uh, labor intensive in terms of like, you have like people actually have to go on the ground and like measure the, measure the trees and like, you know, so, so, so these, these methodologies are not digital by design. They're not really utilizing um, the latest of like remote sensing technologies or machine learning algorithms, based, you know, satellites or drones and, uh, or IoT sensors. So there's a lot of manual work involved. Which limits the scalability and also the accuracy of of the of the of the programs in question. Um, the next big problem is that um, it's a super opaque market. So these credits are being traded, but nobody really sees where. There's no spot market in that sense for 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 carbon credits. Um, so this means that there's no price discovery. No price discovery means that it's really hard for projects to get financing because you know there's not really a price signal. Uh, that you know, a bank, for instance, would say, "Look, okay, I have, I, can, I know you'll be able to sell your credits at this price because nobody really knows at what price you'll be able to sell your credits once they're being produced." Because there's this, you know, there's this gap. You start when you plant trees today, you have to wait five to seven years before you get the first carbon credits. So um, there's, um, and this ultimately leads to, you know, this this opaque market, which is mainly over the counter obviously favors intermediaries because intermediaries, they sit in the middle, they know the supply side, they know the demand side, and they're basically brokering deals. They're, they're you know, aggregating supply, et cetera. And so it's estimated that between 40 and 60% of the value that could actually flow to projects is um, right now flowing to intermediaries. Not all of the work that intermediaries do is like, you know, unnecessary. They provide, you know, sometimes really like, important services like creation, et cetera. But I still believe that we should aim to build a system where most of the money is, like flows to the actual projects rather than um, right. some, somebody in the middle. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I guess, like, the, you know, the lack of transparency, so the opaqueness of the market, the, uh, the, the high amount of intermediaries that are currently in control of the market and um, just a, yeah, like carbon credits are not financial assets. They're, they're, you know, they're just a database entry in like a centralized database somewhere. Um, but they're not really used as, you know, it's it's hard for retail to, to get access. It's hard for you guys, for instance, to invest in carbon, even though historically carbon credits have been a rather well-performing asset. And I personally believe that uh, in the future, you know, if like prices are, are going to go up. So I'm I'm personally interested in like, how can I, as a as a as an investor, also um, participate in that because more money in the system will mean more money flowing also to to projects on the ground. Higher prices, higher prices mean that like higher quality projects are are are, um, are possible, etc. So it's really about, about like reducing this barrier to entry um, and like breaking this market open so that innovation can ultimately bring it to a can scale the market because we need to move trillion dollars. Like, no, like it's not a random number that I took out of my head. Like, we need to move over a trillion dollars to projects that are, you know, creating positive externalities, and we're not going to move a trillion dollars on the current infrastructure that exists. Wow! Yeah, that was a 
a great explanation of of what's happening with the current system and why we need projects like you. So what are the, what are some of the examples of the intermediaries? I know people talk about Vera a lot, and that's one of the big ones that certifies carbon credits. You know, what are the other um, institutions that are similar to that, or is, is Vera the only one? And uh, Vera is not an intermediary, right? Vera is an important, I would say, like the standards are important. Um, I'm not on the fraction, like somebody, right? Somebody needs to decide what's going on. Like somebody needs to say, this happened or this is legit, and I'm going to issue a credit based on that thing, right? So that's the role of the standards. And I think, um, like, you know, Vera is not, is not the fastest moving actor that we've worked with, for sure, but they are, you know, they, their job is to be, uh, you know, th their job is to uphold integrity, right? And they, they, you know, they've done a good job of that. Sometimes they've done a like less good job of this uh, in, in in other times, but in general, the, the role of a standard I think is cannot be replaced. Even in a Web three context, I think we can have Web three native standards, sure. But the role of some kind of body that um, represents, you know, that, that basically makes sure that uh, the latest available science is applied to uh, environmental projects, I think that's uh, an important role. Now, where it gets tricky is that Vera is not just a standard, but they're also a registry, right? And a registry is an IT solution at the at its core. It's like it's keeping track of account, and it's you know, at the end of the day, it's a ledger system. Now, I think that uh, this registry functionality should move on chain, and that's because the because um, Vera is not the only standard. There's a lot of different standards out there, and they're all operating their own registry, and they don't have APIs, and it's really hard to like. And you have to have an account with them. And it costs like a thousand bucks a year, and like every like, you know, it's it's rough. And so I think that in order to scale this market, we need meta registries. We need like open source, uh, open data solutions that uh, allow people to transact credits from different standards. In a harmonized way, and that's what you can is building, right? So we're right now building a bridge to connect to these uh, to these various different standards to aggregate those credits from different source registries onto one, uh, you know, open open uh, climate registry, and then allow applications that are built on top of Tukin. So right now, there's about 150 projects that are building on Tukin to access that supply to access these different credits from different sources through like a unified uh, user interface, but more importantly, through like unified APIs and SDKs. And so, but you, you, I know that your question was around intermediary. So, um, Vera, I don't think is an intermediary that you know we need to replace. Um, I think that um, a lot of the a lot of the you know uh, brokers that are more like on the uh, on the market function. I think that we we can. Um, we should move the market functionality into into the open, right? So we should create deeply liquid markets for carbon credits, so that institutional investors can actually start entering the market in like like big time, uh, because right now the, the carbon market is relatively small, so the big players are not really paying attention because small market mark the market's not really liquid. Like you know, it's it's 
you're not going to invest like you know 500 million into carbon credits that you'll have really hard time selling because there's not really a market for it. So we need to create these deeply liquid markets for for for, for, for carbon credits and move away from this. Hey, I heard somebody, you know, I heard this project is selling a bunch of credits. Are you interested? Like literally, that's how it's happening today. Like there's there's companies, their job is like they're phoning, they're, they're calling brokers every day, every morning to know what the latest prices is. And then they publish those prices on a website. That's a business. Like that's literally like people live off of that, right? Um, wow. So th- that that's where we're at. Um and that's just not going to work in like in, in that's not going to work at scale. Right. And so I think that all these intermediaries on the, on the, on the market side, um, they should move into really what I think they already do today, which is important, which is the curational part. So it's really educating end customers. It's, um, you know, m- making it easy for end buyers to understand the difference between different carbon projects, you know, what what is the difference between like a Congolese afforestation project versus like an, you know, Indian wind farm project? Like why is one selling like five X the price of the other? Like there's reasons for that. And um, so I think these these players provide, you know, a valuable service right now by by curating um curating the, the, the supply side and educating the demand side on on you know how how best to buy, and I think so. What what we're building with, or we we have already built with Tukin is the, the this idea of pools. So, um, and pools basically are allow uh, users to um, to bring carbon credits from different projects together to bundle them into a single single basket, essentially. And um, then we have a pool token. Um, so we have NCT, for instance, which is, stands for the Nature Carbon Ton, which is a pool token, which is only nature-based credits inside of it. And we are building a system in a way right now where in the future, anybody is going to be able to create a pool. Um, not, you know, anybody if that you know, goes through like a, a, a process is going to be able to create a pool and create their own um, you know, curated basket, if you want, of, of credits. So you could have a, you know, a soil carbon pool, which is curated by a, you know, like the Society for Soil Carbon. Not that I do, not that I think it exists, but you know what I mean. Like the idea that anybody could, or you guys could create a, a pool and um, and uh, ask your users that of like the listeners of the podcast to when they use carbon credits to to use the credits that you guys have curated, and there's obviously like a, a fee attached to that, and so. Um, um, an incentive to really do a good job at, at curating pools. Yeah, and, and and kind of what I think you're getting at too is like the fact that not all um, carbon credits are equal. I right? like, like, oh, yes. like you're saying. And so what I'm hearing right now, and just to revisit what a, a statistic that you said is 40 to 60 percent of uh, the money for carbon credits goes to the intermediaries and not the projects. And uh, you know, for many of our listeners who are familiar with nonprofits, like you know, nonprofits try to get their management down to like you know ten percent management and ninety percent going towards projects. So, so that's a really big disconnect right there. Um, and so, what what I heard is that these are kind of the brokers who are intermediary and they're um, they're sourcing the the CO the carbon offsets. So, can you give us just a little bit more background, like how does two can source the carbon offsets and like like what's that first step to to get them on chain yeah so we don't do that we're not a broker right um 
So that's, I guess, the fundamental. And we have not brokered credits also. Like we uh, we had the opportunity to, like when, when we launched, everybody wanted to have credits and we sent people to other people to, to buy credits from them because we are infrastructure. We are not, we're not, our business model is not to like buy low and sell high, right? And I think it's in, important for us as an infrastructure provider to, you know, to operate this way. So we are essentially, um, if you own a carbon credit today um, and you own it as a database entry in various registry, right? It, what Tweaken provides is the infrastructure to turn your paper carbon credit into a token. But you are the one uh, initiating that bridging process and you are the recipient of that credit on the other side. So Tweaken is not, um, we're not holding custody of that or we're not like, we're really just a, a bridging solution such as, you know, I don't know, wormhole or, or like hop protocol if you want, like, you know, in a way, but we're like a, such a bridge, but for, um, for carbon credit. So, so really, if you, you can think of Tukin as like, if you think of all the different carbon registries as a different blockchain, right, even though they're not blockchain, we're basically a bridge that allows this multi-carbon credit blockchain universe <laughs> uh, to connect to right now Polygon and Ethereum, but we're expanding to um, Cosmos in collaboration with Region Network. And um, also there's other chains coming coming in future. I mean, now that Ethereum is moving to proof of stake or has moved to proof of stake, um, we can also, yeah, so excited about that. Uh, <laughs> um, we can also now, you know, be be on Ethereum without, uh, no. yeah, that was just not possible. It doesn't make sense to operate a carbon project in a proof of work blockchain, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's uh, that's how we get the supply, basically. So we, we, don't, we, we get the supply by connecting to different registries. Um, Right now, there's a public consultation going on with Vera because they, um, you know, like we, we tokenized 22 million of their credits in in the first month of uh, after launch, and that was a bit too much too quickly for them. Um, and so they they've basically hit the brakes and started a public consultation. So I think it's a really good step. I sometimes it's picked up by the media as like, oh my God, Vera's cracking down on the crypto scene. That's not at all how I'm experiencing it. It's just like, look, Tukin, um, you know, when we launched, actually, it's exactly in, we launched in October 18th of last year. So it's almost uh, exactly the today, while we're recording this, is October 12th. So um, happy anniversary. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Oh my God. It's next Tuesday. I, I, I'm pretty excited about that. But when we launched, you know, we were like five people. And, um, you know, no, uh, we hadn't raised any money or anything like that. So it was very much in a kind of proof of concept phase. And I guess we proved the concept um, a bit better than we expected by tokenizing 22 million credits. And now we're in this like next iteration phase where we're like working uh, closely with the different standard bodies to uh, launch a V2 of, of the bridge that is like closely connected and integrated with their registries. So not like a separate system, how we've built it in the first place, but really much more deeply integrated with the, with, with the registries. So that from like a user's perspective, it's going to be a lot you know, more secure and nicer to move credits, uh, on, you know, 
with threads between systems and and not like so far Tukin has been a one-way bridge, so you could only bridge them on chain, couldn't bridge them back. And the next bridge is going to be a bi you know two-way bridge where you can bridge on chain but also back back off chain, which I think is a pretty pretty core functionality of any bridge, right? <laughs> uh, otherwise I don't think yeah it's probably more like a, a slide or something like that where you cannot climb back up. Yeah, I'm I'm curious why would why would you be motivated to take them off chain? I think it's just a it's just a core functionality of a you know it's like uh, if you if you want the on chain market and the off chain market to be one rather than two isolated markets, and you want arbit arbitrage for instance to be possible, like um, like it's just and so so arbitrage is I think a very kind of you know, financial financially like logical uh, reason. Um, the other one is simply that um, a lot of corporates today, you know, have very strict policies on how a carbon credit should look and feel and taste. And it's supposed to be a PDF document that is issued to you by Vera. And changing those policies can take a bit of time and getting big corporates to adopt tokenized credits as something legit might not be uh, super easy. So being able to, you know, re-transform um, the detokenizer credit back into a PDF document uh, is actually a pretty good value proposition for some, for, for, for some corporates. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, obviously, I believe that the future for environmental markets is on-chain. I, I truly believe that. And I'm, I don't think I'm delusional. Like you know, when you, you know, at Climate Week in New York a couple of couple of weeks ago, everybody was talking about Web three, and like that's, that's climate people. It's not like it's not a crypto conference. So that was pretty special and, and unimaginable a year ago, I guess. Um, so I really think that you know, the world knows that Web three is a really pretty powerful stack on which to build environmental markets. The world is also uh, conscious that there's a lot of you know, risks uh, associated with Web3 and crypto in general, and that there's a lot of fraud going on, and I, you know, just nothing to, that you can you know, deny. That's unfortunately the case. So there's a bit of, you know, um, people are careful. And I think we're, I'm joking, is like the real bridge that we're building right now is we're building a bridge between the Web3 crowd and the traditional car market people. and um, really uh it's almost like an educational bridge and so i think um it's necessary for for those two groups to like you know come together and, and build a better system uh overall um but it's gonna take it's it's, it's gonna take a bit yeah and on the frauds side of things you know um obviously verifying the the you know registry and all that but um, also the actual like data, like you're saying, a lot of times in, uh, people have to actually go into the field and actually, you know, yeah. take, take data samples. So, you know, uh, one of our past guests was Athena protocol, who's doing a lot with the internet of natural things. And I wonder if you've collaborated with them or, um, you know, have any, um, you know, plans with using IOT of natural things. We are, we are not a carbon standard, right? So our job is not to verify or to attest, uh, who, you know, if the data is correct or what the data should be. Um, and we're not looking to become a carbon center, right? That's not, uh, and again, it, I think it's a bit, you know, like 
it comes from this like fundamentally being a carbon standard is about science and governance and being an infrastructure provider is about tech and you know a bit of finance uh, in our in our case so um so i don't think we would you know i think tekin should not focus on become becoming a standard however we are we want to be the backbone uh of um of some of these protocols or um, service providers that are generating more data, open data on, you know, on on these projects, to to speed up uh, what's called DMRV, which is like, um, so MRV stands for monitoring, reporting, and verification, which is kind of this process of, um, um, you know, um, at, you know, verifying that the data is, is actually correct. And this like DMRV stands for digital, and you know, we need to accelerate DMRV because I think DMRV is, is another like or MRV is a big bottleneck and DMRV is a potential solution or is part of the solution. And so the way that we do this is by by partnering with uh, other players who are more on the like, data layer, like the off-chain data layer, um, to build a uh, you know call it like an open open data bucket where projects can upload data, can uh, upload field samples and um, dump their, um, you know, drone drone footage so that a, a distributed community can actually go and check and that, you know that this data, you know, actually is is valid and is true. But we'll always need some people who actually, you know, test that the sensors are actually where they're supposed to be and you know, not 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 fraudulent. And so I think there's a lot of there's still a lot of processes that we cannot replace with robots. And I think that's going to be true for, for the foreseeable future. However, we need to uh, build the kind of backbone infrastructure um, to make it easy for that data to, to come together and to be easily consumed by, um, by, by, end, by end buyers, but also more importantly, by people in the, in the middle who can provide services to you know, test that something has actually happened and it's true. and or, Provide additional certification. So um, that's how I see Tukin's role um, right now is to, you know, bring as much data together as possible so that uh, we 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 that the end users can make the best decisions on which projects to support. Yeah, I love the fact that you're creating an ecosystem essentially that then people can look at themselves and evaluate for themselves and and the best projects, the best practices uh, that drive the best results will create the best carbon credits essentially right and then those yeah. will essentially be have a higher financial incentive and that will continue this flywheel effect of improving in the overall ecosystem for sure and i think that look if you become a carbon standard for what like are you focusing on blue carbon are you focusing on you know soil carbon are you focusing on biochar on direct air capture on enhanced weathering or sea grass or you know like um like or for everything, right? Like I believe that this is so. This is so. You know, if you go really deep, this is so granular and it's so, and it's it's like it's too important to get this right that we cannot just like go over, you know, and just like assume um, that we can we can do it all. So I'm, I'd much rather have um, specialization happening, right, and have specialists for, you know, blue carbon specialists for, for, for direct air capture that really build the best methodologies and the most robust DMRV solutions. And 
all of them to use the same kind of open open data schemas and systems to to track you know to keep track of what uh, data they're producing and what like environmental claims they're issuing based on that data. Um, then having one project that tries to like do everything and do it probably poorly, right? Because I think you know if if Web three can do one thing really well, is that it allows for you know protocols to specialize and do one thing really well. And know others to just you know do the next piece of the value chain and do that really well, right? So um, that's that's how I see uh, how I see our role is really to focus on this registry uh, registry layer and really nail like how do environmental assets or how should we represent environmental assets on chain? How can we make sure that we have maximum amount of data to uh, you know to create the best um, and most informed market on top of that? So that's um, that's how I see two kids wrong. That's great. Yeah, I love the fact that you're emphasizing specialization and be you know be great at at one thing, solve one problem really really well, and then collaborate with everyone else that's building in the space to connect all those Legos together and create the the final tech stack. So, yeah. looking at the refi space now and kind of like that that current tech stack that that we have with the Legos that we have right now, what are some of the weaknesses? Um, that are in the in the in that stack, and how how yeah. are we looking? At, you know, in best case scenario, how how can we address those? Yeah. So the biggest weakness is clearly that we're not solving the the whole DMRB part right now um, enough. Right. So uh, Tukin for now has been focused on um, credits once they have been issued, and that's not just Tukin. That's you know true for any other tokenization platform out there um, is that um, so we are not solving yet this core problem, which is like bringing more transparency and integrity to the to the creation of the carbon credit, right? So um, there's a lot of people working on that specific uh, problem, and I think it's one of the most important ones that we worked on. But so for now, we are still. Um, in, in in big parts relying on um, traditional market players like Vera or Gold Standard to provide us with a stamp that says like you know this happened this is legit. Um, so I'm really excited. You know projects like you know Region is 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 doing some work in that regard or Open Forest Protocol and, and some others really trying to be at this like pre-issuance state and uh, the the origination of carbon credits in the first. Um, however, as like that's a hard problem to solve, right? So I don't expect this to be, um, you know, that's going to improve uh, slowly, but uh, um, I think it's one of the shortcomings that we have today. Um, the other one, obviously, is that we have extremely limited supply on chain, right? So right now, the token bridge is down. Um, so we've, you know, paused the token bridge during this public consultation with ERA. And so there's no new supply coming on chain from, from, from Toucan, and I don't think from any other player. Um, and so, and the supply that is on Toucan was mainly driven by uh, by Klimadao. So it's mainly it's mainly credits um, that are part of the the BCT pool. The, the BCT stands for Base Carbon Ton, and is a is a curated carbon pool that's been designed by by Klimadao. Um, and this. Uh, the BCT pool um, 
was built for a theory of change of sweeping the floor, which was uh, kind of the, the narrative that Kimada uh, had going in the beginning. The idea that there's a lot of low quality supply right now out there, and that by sweeping the floor and getting rid of that low quality supply and kind of locking it forever in the black hole of Kima, which was the, the, the story back then, um, that that would drive the prices up. So that actually worked. The prices went up. Um, the problem is actually that there's an infinite amount of that low quality supply or close to infinite amount of low quality supply. And that the fact that there was now a very liquid market for those credits on chain actually created an incentive for more of that low quality supply to be issued. And I think created an effect that nobody wanted to have in the first place, which is actually incentivizing the production of more low quality credits rather than getting them out of circulation. Plus the fact that if you build a currency and you back it up with stuff that you say is low quality, there's kind of like a, a shift that, you know, that you kind of find yourself with a lot of trash in your treasury that you then try to justify and be like, oh, this trash is actually not as bad as people think. And I think this is kind of what we're seeing right now. Um, so uh, the biggest problem right now is that, you know, again, I see Tukin as a, a builder ecosystem. And essentially, the builders right now have a very limited amount of materials to build with. They would, I would say they have relatively low quality materials to build with. So they have a bunch of concrete and maybe a bit of wood. Um, but you know, it's like it's really hard to build a beautiful house when you only have concrete and wood, and your concrete might be, you know, not of the greatest quality. So um, the so the biggest challenge I think as re, as 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 refi for us. So the, most important thing I think is that we we focus on high quality and high integrity supply, so that but you can like our goal is to get give the builders the materials that uh, they deserve and that actually you know provenly um, drive positive change. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess this the, the biggest shortcoming right now is that we have very limited amount of high quality credits on chain. They exist, you know. There's mangrove credits. There's um, nature-based credits from really, really good projects. But, you know, the, the bulk of credits right now on chain um, where, 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 driven, where, where driven through through BCT and I don't think, you know, classify as like high quality credit or, it, you know, they don't. Um, what else? The, the next point, obviously, is that um, the user interfaces are still pretty rough. Um, I guess that's true for most of Web3, not just specifically to refi, but you know, like the people actually using this, like it's hard. Like, you know, even you know, we have when we're when we're like on calls with well-meaning Web2 players that are trying to you know retire stuff on chain, like you know, getting them to install MetaMask and all of that is, is honestly is still still a big big pain. So. Um, yeah, like that, that's a, I guess that's a blocker um, that that we can, um, I think, you know, luckily it's not just a refi problem, but it's a, it's a Web3 problem. So there's a lot of smart people that are working on solutions for that. So I'm, I'm positive, you know, I'm optimistic that this will improve over, over time. But uh, and interestingly, there is, you know, protocols or projects building on Tucan who are abstracting the Web3 stuff away. So they are kind of the, and customer-facing um, projects, also offering custodian services, et cetera. So that for corporate buyer, they're not interacting with tokens anymore. They're just interacting with 
right? That's the way they know it. It just so happens that in the back end, these projects are using tokens. But they kind of, uh, you know, abstract that complexity away. So um, that's that's how I see like token is more like a back end kind of thing, and um, then multiple projects can build on top and provide ad customers with the services that they need, depending on what services they ask for. Um, Sounds like you're talking about the the refi mullet over there with uh, fintech in the front and refi in the back. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that'd be, that's a, that's a good um, that's a good analogy. Yeah. So, like, long story short, I think we're really early. Like everybody who says differently is like, you know, we're still very early. And you know, I think refi started with a big bang, and um, you know, surprise, there's no easy solutions uh, to hard problems. And this is a particularly hard problem. So um, and it is going to be a marathon and we need to, you know, we need to keep building and building good products and solve extra problems of real people. And I think then, uh, then, then we're going to get there. But um, yeah, clearly, clearly right now, ReFi is still in a, in a very early, in a very early stage. However, some of the smartest people that I know are building this space. So, that what gives me hope, and um, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Like I'm, you know, I'm actually excited that we are at such an early stage that we can still like shape uh, shape the industry and work towards like you know building common stand standards and, and common data schemas, etc., so that we don't you know create fragmentation right off the right off the right from the from the start. Yeah. So in your mind, you know, what would be some of the best case? Um, wins that the refi space could get done in the next uh, year or two? Um, well, so the first big, big win is to get the refi space into the green zone. So what I mean by that is like not having refi as a, a rogue pirate corner of the world uh, where, um, you know, a bunch of uh, Web three people are creating their own rules, and um, I think you know if we're serious about this, this is really about a big, big, big transition. So we need to work with the the, the players, institutional players, and the existing kind of um, incumbents like Vera Gold Standard and other standards to make sure that refi develops in um, conjunction with with the rest of the carbon market, and it's not just a side kind of side gig. So. Um, at least that's what we focus on as the biggest, yeah, that's kind of our biggest effort right now is to make sure that um, Tukin operates in, like, in this, in this fully compatible way with, with the existing world. And I think this is going to be the next, um, the, the next unlock for refi because suddenly, you know, you'll be able to talk to corporates and like, give them exactly what they want because you don't have to explain them what a token is because you can actually deliver, you know, Deliver the credits even as a PDF again if if need be. So I think that um, that's going to be huge. And then the next two things I think are well, probably three. Again, I think the MRV is, is key. So getting getting more people to you know like you know even if it's just starting with like publishing data on like an open data platform and um, just getting into the habit of providing more transparency around. The uh, origination of these credits in the first place, 
is important. I think forward finance is another one that is really important. So getting um, you know, getting projects capital in like early stages to finance more projects. Um, I think it's it's you know, not I'm not just like super aligned on it from like a values perspective because you really need to increase the flywheel of like just need to create more projects, right? Like we don't have enough like drawdown potential right now, like drawdown happening. So, um, so solving the kind of forward uh, financing and and using Web three tools to accelerate that, I think, will be a, another big unlock. And then it's really on the demand side is like how do we integrate, um, how do we integrate these, you know, tokenized carbon credits and and, and whatnot into existing systems or build new systems on top of that. So we kind of differentiate in token between people who integrate token, uh, uh, integrate token. So they use token within their existing um, existing stack. So you know, like if uh, if Aave, for instance, uh, gives uh, allows like loans based on based on like tokenized carbon credits, uh, that would be an integration. However, if Aave was to um, redirect a certain amount of their yield or you know, when they take transaction fees to redirect some of that transaction fee towards burning carbon credits, that would turn Aave actually into what we call like a planet positive protocol, um, where the usage of that protocol and kind of the activity like leads to a you know positive outcome. So Tukin, for instance, is a planet positive protocol where we uh, take 50% of all our fees and we just like retire them directly. So we, we, we use them to retire carbon credits. And so the more people use Tukin, the, the more carbon gets kind of drawn down. And I think this is really a model that I would love to see adopted in Web3 because I personally believe that this is the next, like, and not, not just for refi, I think for like crypto in general, like this is our way to the next 1 billion users. And that's what's going to make Web3 inevitable, I think, is if we can solve this huge problem, which like nobody, like, you know, COP is happening like the Conference of the Parties is, is happening in, in Egypt next month. And like you have all these nation states trying to solve this massive coordination problem of climate change. And it's, you know, like, hopes are not super high again. Um, um, so we, but if we manage to build a an alternative system, you know, if we manage to build DeFi in a regenerative way, because I think ReFi and DeFi are not two different things. I want DeFi to be regenerative, right? So, um, so really building, like integrating, um, like regenerative uh, activities into our core protocols in Web3, I think is what, uh, we need to do to first, like of all, build a better system and a system that is, you know, that operates within our planetary boundaries, but also I think has a huge benefit for, for crypto to attract users that are currently kind of shying away from it because, um, you know, it's bad for the environment or or whatever are the, the, the you know sometimes misconception of people and sometimes legitimate legitimate concerns um so yeah i think that's the um that would be also like kind of my you know my call to action for people who are actually building in web3 is like think about how you can you know integrate regenerative practices into the core design of your protocol there is now really easy tools that you out there to just you know, integrate with a smart contract to redirect some of your revenue directly towards you know doing good, and I think that um, 
this is you know hopefully not just a marketing gimmick but really like a way for for protocols to align their values uh, also like economically and making sure that you know their success is tied to the planet winning as well yeah that's yeah, really that's, cool that's fantastic i love that and I was talking to someone recently uh, about refi and I was trying to give them a really, really simple dumbed down explanation. And I said, you know, um, you know, when you swipe your Visa card or your MasterCard, there's a you know transaction fee that's presented it's like two to three percent or whatever. Um, and everyone just pays that and no one really cares. And I was like, imagine if that two percent went to some kind of planet positive um, externalities. And uh, they were like, oh, wow, OK, now I, I kind of see how it's going. And and they were saying, well, where that where is that two percent coming from? And I said, well, you know, if you're using blockchain technology, you're you take you're in it with the Visa and the Mastercard example. You're there's more trusted third parties, right? They have to have these risk mitigation divisions to essentially because Visa and Mastercard are fronting you the money, right? When you use a credit card, and then then at two days later, then the, the funds come out of your account. So with blockchain, you know, you're you're mitigate. You can actually because it's more efficient. Um, you can mitigate that that two to three percent of risk, and then that two to three percent can be shifted towards planet positive things. Yeah, that's really really interesting. Um, yeah, it's a cool, it's a very cool way to think about it. And also, like honestly, how many crypto projects pay taxes? Like, um, I think that you know, um, taxes are not just a bad thing. It depends like what type of taxes and. And the way that I see it is that we have a lot of Web3 projects that operate within, like, a, you know, outside of the tax realm. Why not pay a climate tax, a voluntary climate tax, right? Where you say, look, I am in a, you know, I'm not forced to pay taxes because I'm, you know, in the non-national, you know, not within nation states kind of realm. However, I I decide that, you know, I I can decide where where I want to, you know, allocate some of the revenue that I'm generating, um, and I actually get to decide, you know, uh, which uh, which planet positive activities I want to support. So, you know, I think, yeah, tax is obviously like a, a a word that people get allergic to, but um, including me, like I have to do my tax return right now and freaking headache. But, um, you know, I, I I just like I would invite the Web three community to think a bit of it, like. You know, it's we 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 all we're all breathing the same air. We're all like you know eating food that comes from from the from from the planet. So it's okay for you to give back a bit and um, and do so in like a very easy and programmable way. Yeah, you're making me think about our conversation with uh, Gitcoin and and uh, radical exchange about you know public goods funding. Like, what is a public good, and and yeah. you know who who gets to decide what that is? Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that I wanted to just kind of zoom out on um, as we finish up our conversation is earlier you mentioned biodiversity credits. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering if you had any or Toucan has any plans to further diversify into like more real world assets than just carbon offsets. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we changed the name from CO Toucan to Toucan, other than like CO Toucan just being a horrible hack from name and people not being capable of pronouncing it or saying it, it would always be like CO2 token or um co token or or whatever uh one of the major reasons was also to get co2 out of the name and have a word that is more um open uh, and not just carbon because 
like we we don't have just a carbon problem we have a biodiversity problem as much as we have a carbon problem right and we have other problems as well like you know water cycles are and land use and like you know fertilizers etc so um so the, the the short answer is yes like we like we don't see ourselves stopping at carbon but the long answer is everything that we build for carbon is going to make it as like so much easier to onboard other environmental assets so it's not a priority for us right now however if you are a biodiversity standard or if you're like working in a space like you know feel free to reach out and um it should not be hard to adopt or to adapt the token code to work with biodiversity credits right because it's they, they operate on the same base principle of you have some project that has you know that moves a state from like one to two or zero to one and zero is not a lot of biodiversity one is more biodiversity and so as long as there's somebody who's actually there and attesting that that change in biodiversity has happened like it's pretty straightforward to issue it as a token um so um yes in the medium term right now we're trying to get carbon right um before before moving into other assets yeah that makes sense i can appreciate that so you're working on Toucan 2.0. Uh, what's the rollout date for that? And uh, how can our users uh, support that? So I wish I could give you a clear answer to this. Uh, we are a bit at the mercy of the standards right now, which is not a great place to be if you're uh, a startup and you're running against a, you know, a, um, if you have a limited runway. Uh, we were lucky enough that we we raced during the bull and have you know like so I think we're uh, we're super lucky in that sense and so we we have a few years to go but um, right now there is no clear timeline on when tokenization will carbon credits will be permitted again by the standards. Um, I don't think it's going to be this year, unfortunately. So I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be Q, Q1 or next year. Um, but we are ready. Like it's right now, it's really a, like not a tech problem. Let's put it that way, right? Like our smart contracts work. We've proven that they can hold millions of value. Uh, we've not been hacked or anything like that. So right now it's, it's really a way of like, how do we adapt those contracts in such a way that um, the carbon, you know, the carbon standards are, are more closely integrated with it and like, also following some of their recommendations, et cetera. So right now it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an exercise of um, bringing two worlds together that speak very different languages and finding the, the common ground. However, like it's like conversations are good. Like the, you know, it's not that there's no, people are not trying to just block this innovation or anything like that. It's like, you know, people have concerns for for good reasons, and um, ultimately, they don't want retail to be burned. And um, I think that's a very legitimate fear. And in carbon markets, there's like historically, there's always been events where um, retail investors have been burned. So you know, I think it like 
we should not be too dismissive about um, this process being a bit slow, even though obviously I would love it to be a lot faster. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating to see the, yeah, the pace at which Web3 moves and the pace at which the traditional card market moves is like, could be more. <laughs> <laughs> we need and we need the speed for the climate. We need emergency. the speed. We have totally. We have like what seven years, six and a half years to to cut emissions by over fifty percent. Like, like, so, um, yeah. so you're doing a lot of stuff on the back end with Vera uh, and Toucan. Is there anything our listeners or you know how can we help advocacy wise to move that timeline forward for allowing more tokenization, carbon well, credits? It sounds like it sounds like the next like real you know battlefield here the you know the arena is regulation right i think we're seeing it across crypto um across web3 is the the regulation hurdle is is kind of what's next to be conquered yeah so i think what's what the like what the users or the listeners can do is um like voice like their their desire for for this like you know um why why tokenize credits in the first place like you know why they care um and you know, be it on Twitter or be you know joining these public consultations. They're like you know they're, they're public. You can you know send uh, quite, like there's questions to answer and responses, etc. So you know if you're in, in the topic, there's there's a lot that you can provide a lot lot of a lot of input. Um, I think that um, you know right now is a great time to build. <laughs> like bear markets are the perfect time to build. Because you don't have all the noise, you know, uh, you can actually build quiet. And uh, so, look, it, I have twenty ideas of startups that you could build on top of on top of something like Weekend. So, yeah, um, if and I have friends that are raising right now in this space. So, like, there, there's still VC capital that is that's going into the space, and and really like big names interested in moving this forward. So, you know, I think there is. Uh, it's 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 a great time to actually do stuff, even though it like may appear like you know that we're um, we're kind of in the stalling phase. I think that um, a lot of teams are building and are building really really important stuff. And I'm just you know it, it's a bit like a, we 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 have a bottle of champagne and like when the when we open it, it's going to be a bit of it's going to be fun. So yeah, I think you know get 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 loud, uh, get involved, uh, build. Um, on you know, if you want to build on Tukin, there's a developer Tukin.earth that allows you know it's a, it's a website that is dedicated for builders. There's um, resources there. There's sample sample uh, sample code. We also have grants program. So you know, if you, if you have an idea and you need like you know, a bit of a bit of cash to get going, like you can apply to our grants program. Um, and um, so yeah, I think. Showing the world that, like you know, all the all the all the things that we can do once we have tokenized carbon, I think it's going to be a big unlock uh, to convince the, the the traditional markets that, that this is not just a, a, a hype uh, phenomena that's going to you know be over in a year, but that this is actually you know well-intentioned people who are uh, who care about the environment and are trying to do to do to do good, right? Because I think there's still. Mm-hmm. Or not? I think I know that there's still this perception of like, like crypto just being a bunch of scammers that try to uh, do pump and dump schemes. And you know, unfortunately, there's enough proof points for that to be <laughs> not a completely invalid point. 
Right. Well, and unfortunately, there's just scammers in every field of the world <laughs> totally. right now. Totally. Um, yeah. And we were so excited to to have you on the episode to, to you know dispel that narrative and to really you know showcase the incredible work that you guys are doing. So um, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. We hope that you know we can keep uh, advocating for refi. So if, you know if you have any projects that should be on our show, you know please do uh, throw them our way. Um, well, yeah. And so I guess as we wrap up, is there anything you know that you haven't covered that you want to you know share with our listeners today? No, I think the, the most important part, part I just touched on, I guess, is the, is the builder's program. And um, so, you know, again, Tukin is, is tools and infrastructure for, for, for builders. And um, so, you know, we come from the, we come from the, the hackathon um, space ourselves. And I, I personally am a big, big, big fan and believer in this, like, you know, grassroots innovation and like um, just, just getting out there and doing stuff rather than thinking about it for like, too long um and so yeah i you know nothing gets me more excited to to hear every week a, a new a new bunch of builders starting to to build with with course carbon right that ultimately that was a crazy idea when we started this was this like yeah i remember the first the first like one of the slides in the in the first pitch deck at the, the hackathon was um we compared ourselves to like you know how DAI unlock DeFi, and we, you know, that like carbon tokens will unlock ReFi. And uh, well, ReFi was not a term back then. We we called it DeCLEFI for decentralized climate finance, which is a horrible. <laughs> horrible <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that ReFi became like DeCLEFI. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, um, so but that's you know that that proved to be true. Like you know we these fundamental primitives that unlock innovation. That's what's so fascinating about. About Web three and just this, like interoperability out of the box, like that's just that's really hard for it's really hard to explain also to the outside world. But that's I think one of the most that's what basically the key driver for, for a lot of what we see is like composable open innovation and people just throwing code together and like you know creating creating incredible tools and applications like in a in a few weeks' time, sometime, right? Like it's some of the best and biggest projects in Web three are just like a bunch of people throwing, you know, different like code snippets together and creating a you know a multi-billion-dollar application. So, um, yeah, like th- that is um, th- that's that's what I what I love seeing is people just getting um, their hands dirty and actually uh, doing the work, and you know. Uh, we are hiring also, so if you know if you're looking for a job in the space, um, you're a developer, but also if you're like coming from carbon markets and you have knowledge there, um, uh, you know we're, we're we're always always looking for talent that wants to work on on the most pressing the most pressing problem of the world uh, and the most interesting tech stack in the world. So I think it's a pretty cool niche to be to, to be working on for sure. Yeah, you heard it. From Raphael himself, you know, get your hands dirty and get to work during the build market that we're in right now. Exactly. Well, thanks for all the inspiration, Raphael. I'm inspired. I want to go get my hands dirty and get to work. Um, and I just want to say thanks again for t- sharing your project Toucan with us and all the great efforts that you're doing for climate action and beyond. Um, on behalf of Cash and I, we're, we're super grateful to have you on the Block Explorer today. It was a lot of fun. We're going to wrap it up here for today. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a rating and a review. We'd like to give a big thank you to our friend Matthew Patrick Donner, who's responsible for the Block Explorer production, including our music, mixing, and editing. Thank you for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world, and we're here to ensure that you're ready. Please subscribe to our podcast and do share this with all of your refi punk friends. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers.